Welcome to episode four of Kindred Cast, Lion Tree's bi-monthly guide to the world of tech, media, and everything in between. I'm your host, Aviva Rumani. If you are new, be sure to check out episodes one through three, featuring interviews with Scooter Braun, and last week, Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's what's on tap today. First up, we have Lion Tree's Alex Michael in conversation with Peter Kafka, the senior editor of Recode Media and the host of their influential podcast. Jeremy Adam is back with a brand new quiz question. Listen to the end for the answer and the juicy details. Next, we'll hear from Lion Tree's Leslie Mallon, who will provide some visibility into the public markets with quick hits. This week, we're focused on the concerns around cord cutting and the increased pace of innovation in the tech space, specifically wearables and payments. And we'll conclude with Kindling, our segment dedicated to the trends we're exploring in Lion Tree growth, led by Austin Cryden. This week, we're focused on the music industry. Here we go. I'm pleased to introduce Peter Kafka, who sat down with Alex to discuss what it's like to have had a front row seat to the media and tech landscape for the past 20 plus years. Well, we're very excited to have Peter Kafka on the podcast here today at Lion Tree. Peter Kafka has been covering media and technology for 20 years, starting at Forbes and moving to Forbes.com in 2005, then segueing to Silicon Alley Insider, the predecessor to Business Insider. He began writing for all things D.com in 2008, and three years later began producing and hosting the D Dive Into Media conferences. He's now the senior editor for Media at Recode, where he also hosts the popular and influential Recode Media Podcast and continues to produce events. Welcome to Kindred Cast, Peter. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm freaked out by that 20 years, but I guess that's probably in the official bio we distribute, right? That's the official bio. All right, maybe that's on the I realize that's supposed to like increase my stature, but it... Do you feel... You have, yeah, it makes me feel very old. 1997, that's yeah. early. It seems like you've been early to the game in a lot of ways. You started writing for Forbes.com pretty early in the digital media space. I mean... Yeah, it was Forbes.com's second go-around. It was, it was post-bubble. Post okay. um, Forbes was early in, in .com. There was an era where business and, and other publications wanted .coms, and they decided they didn't. Forbes stuck it out. I joined when Forbes was best known as being like the place where you could read about the top 10 nude beaches top 10 whatever other things people said they didn't want to click on but but clicked on and I joined then they said they were going to shape up the operation I think it took them a little while longer did it shape up while you were there no or not really left not it? really when I, I was there so long ago that the business model then was get on the homepage of Yahoo if that gives you some context. things have changed yeah things have changed just a little bit well we're very excited to have you on the show thanks for having me you have a wealth of knowledge around media and technology I'm rolling my eyes, which you can't see on the podcast. You can't see it on the podcast. So I thought instead of giving you specific questions today, yeah. we'd be topical. We'd be thematic, right. which is what we like to do here at Lion Tree. And there are a lot of topics, especially at Lion Tree Growth, which is the sector of Lion Tree that focuses on growth companies, where we spend a lot of time looking at the analogs to the traditional media guys, the digital media guys. And I thought that's an area where you might be able to weigh in. It's kind of my that. thing or one of my things. That's your thing. Yeah. All right, here we go. So this is like the show about the show, podcasting. Yeah, it's a lot of people have podcasts. They do now. Yeah, it last couple years it sprang up. It's a real thing. It is a real medium, still just forming itself. Right as new media spring up, they replicate old media at first because they don't know what else to do. So you had TV 
original TV shows were just filmed radio shows. Right now, podcasting just sort of is replicating formats that are on radio. So you're starting to see things break out. I can swear on this one, right? Yes. S-Town, shit-town, right? Yes. Um, so that's the new breakout hit. We actually wrote about it today, and that's a new kind of format. It's kind of an old format as well, but it's beyond just the two dudes in a room talking like we're doing now. Yes. So experimenting with that, we're going to figure out what people want to listen to, how they want to listen to it. Um, I'm 100% convinced, and not just because I record one of these, that on-demand audio, you don't need to call it podcasting, is going to be a way many people consume audio down the line. Monetizing that? whole different discussion may never be as big as the stuff it's replacing which is another theme we cover a lot in media old media gets taken down by new media but new media doesn't replace it dollar for dollar that may well happen with podcasting that the ad money doesn't replicate what was available in radio so radio by most estimates 16 18 billion dollar market podcasting three or four hundred million yeah that's a big delta. Yeah. That's what gets people excited about podcasting. Yeah. How does it get anywhere close, even if it's not a It may not get anywhere close, right? Radio is local ad sales. They have to send people out in each market to sell those radio ads. So there's going to be a lot of muddling and back and forth, and it's a long road. And if you're a content creator, it's kind of nice, frankly, to have that room to experiment. It's super low overhead to produce this stuff. We're in your conference room. We're wearing microphones. You've hired a guy to record us. You're not paying me. <laughs> I don't think you're getting paid extra for this. I don't think so. It's awfully cheap content, so it's easy to experiment right now, which is fun. Interesting. Now, you mentioned TV, Apple. Another topic we have here is cord cutting. Yeah. Where are we headed there? It's happening. It's for real, which is funny. I just saw some big numbers about... Yeah, it was the worst Q1 ever, according to a bunch of folks. I mean, for me, one of the interesting things is there were years where I would write about cord cutting from the perspective of of, hey, cord cutting will be a thing probably one day, but it's not right now. And statistically, it wasn't, even though in the world, you know, I was writing for online blogs. My people who read me were tech people. They either were cutting the cord or new people. And they also sort of believed the idea that, well, well, whatever we saw happening in newspapers and music will eventually hit movies and TV. And they were eventually right, but for years, they were early. The big conglomerate to go, yeah, it's not happening right now. It's not a problem. And then that switched over the last couple of years, and now it's starting to accelerate. Starting to pick up. Yeah. So have we reached the tipping point? Seems like it. So now the question, if you talk to TV guys, sometimes they'll say it publicly. They'll definitely say it privately. They'll say the question is how fast it accelerates. They believe it'll stop at some point, right? Like, So you spoke of the music industry as yeah. one of those comparables to maybe what's going on in video now. It's a hot topic. A lot's changing. Music is coming back into vogue. It yes. seems like... 20 years of decline, 18 years of decline. They found themselves here a little bit. Yeah. So I started writing 20 years ago about this stuff. I wanted to write about entertainment, and the people who were writing about entertainment didn't want to give up those jobs. But there was room to write about technology entertainment, and there was room to write about Napster and Grokster and these things that had devastated the music business. That was an exciting thing to write about then, and then it grew boring for years because... Music continued to decline. The music industry did not want to accept that decline, did not want to make the fundamental changes it needed to make that. Didn't want to do streaming. You know, Spotify has been in the market for a few years, but the idea of streaming, the idea of subscription streaming was around for a long time. No one wanted to hear about it. And also the iPhone really didn't make it available until 2008. Now it's finally picking up. As you guys know, as anyone's listening to this knows, it's still a fraction of where it was in 2000. Probably won't, again, I don't think it's going to replace that peak, but it is going to climb back. I would have lost money betting against this. So let's talk about another piece of the uh, entertainment landscape, digital media. It's another area you cover a lot. You've worked in it clearly. Working in it. Now, Fox Media. Where is that headed? Valuations. They're still figuring out the model, it seems to a certain extent. 
tell us your thoughts on digital media. I'm going to repeat myself. I yeah. think the money that is moving offline is not going to move dollar for dollar online. It's not the money that's going to go away from TV is not going to magically appear at Vox Media or BuzzFeed. It takes a lot of work to get it there. The snapshot everyone hears is, oh, well, Google and Facebook are taking all the money, and they are taking all the digital media money. They're not taking the TV money. They're not taking a lot of the traditional advertising money, right? It's all almost all direct advertising, cost per click, cost per action. The positive spin on that is there is still room for the BuzzFeeds and Vox Medias and Vices to claim some of that money that is going to move over digitally. So that's the good side. I think the moderately cynical view is you got the TV guys who are declining, but still making a ton of money. They're now in a sort of acknowledged decline, but they still want to have a growth story. So they're going to have a lot of capital. And I think you're going to see some of those guys acquiring the BuzzFeeds and Vox Medias and Vices in the next few years while they still have the ability to do it. And what do you think of smaller scale digital media plays? Do they need to come together? Can they live separately? Which are fairly sizable audience, tens of millions of people, but not necessarily that upper Vice, Vox. Yeah, no, they're expensive to operate. They're they're probably replicating a lot of audience, duplicating a lot of audience. So there's probably makes some sense to consolidate them, but probably not at the prices those guys want. Mm -hmm. It's interesting times. Well, those were the four topics. Let's switch gears for a second. All right, we're gonna we're gonna extend the interview. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever gotten? No, I don't. I don't have business advice. Or just life advice. Some of the best life advice I got was at journalism school where one of my undergraduate professors who I liked and who tolerated me told me not to go to graduate school. Okay. He said, do not spend your money going to Columbia or wherever else that you could get into. Take whatever money you would spend on that and move to New York. And and that's what you did? Yeah, basically. And it worked. Yeah, I would advise everyone not to go to journalism school, but anyone listening to this is not considering We're not going to get any school. advertisers from the journalism schools. They don't have any money to spend. Fair enough. Look into your crystal ball for a second. Yep. It's kind of what you do in the space, right? No, my job is to take your thoughts I know. and then retail them as my thoughts. You're not happy with this whole yeah, thing. But let's, let's get, get the crystal ball. All right, go. What do you believe in? And maybe it's what we've already talked about that most people don't believe in. Futuristically, what is a thing, a topic, an industry that Peter has conviction on that open up the well, envelope? For years, I was years. arguing that TV was going to be more resistant to decline than the other industries. I think that is still the case. I think the decline will be slow, and I don't think they're going to fall off a cliff, but that's no longer as interesting a position. That was more interesting a couple of years ago. And I think the other idea, which again, I ripped off from someone who used to be in old media, which is that the disruptors never make the money that the people they're disrupting used to make. So you make a big noise, you put a hole in someone's ship, they sink. It's bad, very bad for them, but the benefit doesn't accrue to to the people who are doing the disruption all the time. So when you hear someone describe themselves as a disruptor, it almost never means what they think it means. But very often the disruptor doesn't really benefit. And there's these super obvious cases like the Napsters of the world don't exist. And then there's other ones like, you know, a lot of these digital media companies, frankly, which are taking True. share away from existing companies, taking media dollars away, sort of arguing against myself. But they're not going to be at the same level. They're, they're not going to replace NBC, CBS, Fox, New York Basically, Times. you need new tools, new technology. Well, you need all those, but you can topple the giant, right? But you don't replace the giant. At right. least not at the same scale. One to one. I right. mean, things evolve, new branches Right. And the, by the way, the market may reward you for doing it and things will work out just fine. But it's, you know, that Mary Meeker slide that we show off every year, she comes to Code Conference and she always shows that slide that shows how much media is being consumed and where the dollars are going. There's always a big gap between where the eyeballs are and where the money is and that there's always going to be a gap or the gap is going to take a very long time to close. It doesn't all move over. And there's plenty of opportunity for the guys that want to be in the middle of that gap and participating in it, but they're not going to bring every dollar over. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's that interesting. Good. That's but, a Peterism. But I got through it. You did a great job. 
Is there any other stone we haven't turned while you're here? No, I want to go back and listen to the Andrew Ross Sorkin thing. That was really good. Yeah. Did you watch Billions this week? I didn't because I'm a few behind. I was like, oh, this show is not going to be that great. So I didn't watch it for a year. Then I watched it. I'm like, oh, this is a super enjoyable show. Got really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great show. That's what happened with Sopranos. When something's so hyped, I actually run away from it. And then you watch it, you're like, there is something to the wisdom of the crowds here. If that many people like it, it's usually Yeah, I was the same way about Game of Thrones for a while. I'm like, I don't need to see a second-rate Lord of the Rings. But turns out I do. It's freaking amazing. The main thing about Billions that I'm taking away is the fleece sweater vest. I'm so disappointed you guys are not wearing them, yeah. We have Lion Tree gear. Quick hits. Book your reading now. Or, or favorite book this year you've oh, read. Oh, actual like books actual that I'm reading. Print. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Showing like your a tech technology term. job. I almost never read books. I went years without reading books because I do a podcast now. That's Recode Media with Peter Kafka. I actually do read books because I'll talk to authors. Turns out authors are great podcast guests. So I read a book by Derek Thompson. I think it's called Hitmaker, Science of Popularity. It's not really the science of popularity. It's super interesting. Uh, Dory Shafir, who was a writer at BuzzFeed, just came up with a book called Startup. It's about a fictional media company. It sounds a lot like BuzzFeed. That's a ton of fun. Those are my two wrecks this year. Those are two wrecks. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Shaker by Scott Frank, another guest I interviewed. He wrote the grown-up Wolverine movie. What was that called? Grown-up Wolverine? Whatever grown it was Wolverine, called. Wolverine, I guess. If you like Elmore Leonard, this is like a new Elmore Leonard. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Those are my wrecks. I just ordered Sneaker Dog, which do I not, heard is fantastic. Not. Oh, that's the Phil Knight. That's yeah. one of those ones that I'm just going to let everyone tell I've me about. I've heard it's great. And I'm a nonfiction guy. Destiny of the Republic, unbelievable book. I'm short for Wendy Millard. It's a New Yorker article is about as long as I can go. I get you. Okay. Netflix show. Uh, I'm psyched to finish watching the rest of Love. But my favorite streaming show right now is called, what is it called? It's on Amazon. Doing a bad job of Transparent? uh, Nope. Castle one? Nope. It's about the two people who are married and hate each other. Catastrophe. Catastrophe. Season three. Great great mean spirited people need lists we should keep a running list yeah it's my favorite tv show that no one is watching and finally full circle podcast that's not yours that's not lion trees that you religiously listen to improv for humans with matt besser that is my jam it's by matt besser who was one of the founding members of the upright citizens brigade so if you like any kind of comedy he had a hand in making it i mean it is for comedy nerds and that is me peter thank you thanks for having me It's amazing you came on. We appreciate Peter Kafka. Rico, thanks for coming on. See ya. Jeremy Adam has today's KinCast quiz question. As of the end of Apple's fiscal Q2 2017, the company had about $257 billion in cash on its balance sheet. In its most recent earnings report, Apple announced that it was increasing its capital return program to $300 billion dollars, and increased its dividend by 10.5%, amounting to $13.2 billion over the coming year. Apple's annual dividend is now higher than what proportion of S&P 500 companies as of May 2nd? A, 15%, B, 33%, C, 47%, or D, 61%. Now let's check in with Leslie to get some insights on the public markets. Hi, this is Leslie Mallon. I head Lion Tree's public markets business, and here are the TMT quick hits. News flow in the sector has reached what feels like unprecedented levels. Two themes take center stage. One, in pay TV, the weaker than expected Q1 video subscriber trends raised concerns about cord cutting accelerating. 
The pace of innovation with digital TV continues to be very high, which will keep pressure on the traditional ecosystem. Two, the pace of acceleration of emerging technologies also has stepped up in a number of areas, including wearables and digital payments. Regarding the weak video subscriber performance, Comcast, AT&T, DTV, Charter, Time Warner Cable, and Dish all reported video sub ads, or in most cases, losses, well below Wall Street expectations. Sell-side estimates have pegged the Q1 aggregate decline as the worst in history. At the same time, the pace of innovation on the digital side continues at a rapid clip. Twitter announced it is launching a live streaming channel on Roku, which follows the deal the company announced with Bloomberg to live stream 24-7 video programming. Apple and Amazon are reportedly close to bringing the Amazon Prime TV app to Apple TV in Q3 of this year. Facebook is reportedly making a big push in June to attack traditional TV. They plan on launching about a dozen shows on their platform, which would be a combination of longer, marquee, big-budget TV-like shows and also less expensive, lower-tier shows. Lastly, YouTube is adding 40 original programs exclusively on its platform. Net-net, fragmentation of viewership is only getting worse as digital alternatives are growing. Cable companies are trying to create stickier bundles with wireless, and I suspect we will see more in the way of skinny video bundles as we look ahead. On the positive side, though, for cable, the broadband pipe is becoming increasingly valuable with more and more video going over the internet. Switching over to emerging technologies, several developments stand out. First, it has been a rocky road for wearables over the years, but positive signs of renewed consumer interests have emerged. Apple Watch sales in Q1 doubled year over year in six of the top 10 markets, which was particularly impressive in a non-holiday quarter. Data from Plum Choice and Z-Wave Alliance shows that smartwatch ownership increased from a small 3% in 2015 to 12% in 2016. Still low, but that's a notable move. Research and markets also estimate that the wearable market will increase 16% on a compounded basis to $58 billion in 2022. Second, digital payments also seem to be gaining momentum. PayPal and Square both delivered better-than-expected Q1 results. The network effect with scale seems to be taking hold, and growth of new products and partnerships are helping to drive adoption. Further, Apple said Apple Pay is experiencing, quote, phenomenal traction. It is live in 15 markets, and last 12-month transaction volume increased 450%. That sounds impressive to me. This brings us to our stat of the day. Last year, 52% of internet users worldwide said they preferred to watch TV shows on a traditional TV, as per an Accenture survey. This year, that dramatically dropped to 23%. That's a big shift over the course of 12 months and reflects how consumers want to consume entertainment not only when they want, but where they want, just first watching in their living rooms. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next time with some more quick hits. Next up, Austin will dive into our latest episode of Kindling. With everyone's favorite millennial, Justin Bieber, having performed his first ever show in India on Wednesday, 
it feels like a good time to explore the world of music. As many people know, 2016 was the first year where streaming overtook physical and digital downloads as the industry's dominant model, ringing up 51% of music consumption, according to Nielsen. This is certainly good news for an industry that has been in decline since industry revenues peaked in 1999. Music piracy and the rise of peer-to-peer -peer sharing networks like Napster in the early 2000s were the initial catalysts of this decline. While Napster was originally viewed as public enemy number one, it helped create a consumer appetite for on-demand music consumption, one that Apple soon capitalized on with its iTunes download store. Clearly, music streaming is a big deal, with streaming revenues growing 60% worldwide in 2016, the fourth consecutive year of 35% plus growth for the industry. In that space, Spotify and Apple Music are the dominant players, but many other competitors exist. Pandora, iHeartRadio, and Amazon have all recently debuted their own on-demand services. This is in addition to existing services like Rhapsody, Tidal, Deezer, Savin, and video-first services like Vimeo, Vivo, and YouTube. For millennials, streaming is an even bigger deal. Spotify reported in late 2016 that 72% of all U.S. weekly streams come from millennials. The preferred distribution method for millennials is obviously mobile, with a study conducted by the Music Business Association and Loop concluding that smartphones accounted for 41% of their listening time, more than double the overall average of 18%. Finally, according to a study jointly conducted by the Entertainment Retail Association and the British Phonographic Industry, millennials reported about 3.1 hours of music listening daily versus 1.8 hours for baby boomers. That's 75% more music on any given day. Millennials' fondness for mobile streaming is leading to renewed interest in the music business from an investment perspective. Just this week, Cobalt Music, which helps artists release and track their music, raised $75 million from Hearst, and Smule, which makes several music-related applications, raised $54 million led by Tencent. And finally, Sprint acquired one-third of Tidal, the streaming music service owned by Jay-Z and a bevy of superstar artists, in January. The music business's second act appears to be well underway. So let's see if you got our quiz question correct. Over to you, Jeremy. Apple's annual dividend is now higher than what proportion of S&P 500 companies as of May 2nd? A, 15%, B, 33%, C, 47%, or D, 61%? And the answer is B, 33%. Today, 90% of Apple's cash is held overseas. President Trump's tax blueprint unveiled last month proposes allowing multinationals to bring in overseas profits at a tax rate of 10% versus 35%. In a recent research report, Citigroup listed seven companies as potential acquisition targets for Apple to put its cash to work. Among them were Netflix, Disney, Tesla, Activision Blizzard, EA, Take-Two Interactive, and Hulu. That's it for episode four of Kindred Cast. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can hear our show first through the Kindred app or subscribe to it on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. See you next time. Audiation.